You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here. Ooh, this is going to be a lot of fun, you guys. I am excited. So what we have tonight is two, you could say, veteran debaters when it comes to Jordan Peterson. Although they've got debate experience in other ways, we've had both these gentlemen on. I can tell you, by getting to chat with them, I'm like, I really enjoy both of their personalities. So I'm excited that they're meeting tonight and that I would say these guys are also very experienced in terms of the uh, the work of Jordan Peterson, one of the most controversial figures of our time. And uh, it's just going to be a blast to hear them. So first, I just want to say up front, thank you very much for Vosh and Paul Vanderclay. Appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for coming on tonight. It's my pleasure. The pleasure is mine entirely. Thank you. And to those of you who are watching in the Modern Day Debate channel, a phenomenal channel, and you should go check it out if you have not already, uh, I apologize for my uh, <clears throat> invisibility. My second camera crapped out on me, okay? So you're going to be enjoying Paul's face. And you know what? I am going to be too, to be perfectly honest. Phenomenally goom goatee. We are all lucky to be in its presence. Very. It enchants. Um, see, I'm buttering you up. That's the debate. That's debate tactic number one. Now it's harder to be mean to me. <laughs> An enchanting goatee, indeed. And we are stoked. I want to let you know both of the speakers have their links in the description already. So if you're enjoying listening to them and you're like, hmm, I like that, you want more excellent, you can get it at those links right down there in the description. See? So. Glad to have them here and also want to mention, if this is your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button if you want reminders about future debates we have coming up. For example, we have a tag team debate tomorrow night, Skylar Fiction and none other, none other than his friend and partner, Dr. Josh, will be on here going against Joel and Tyler on Christian ethics. So that will be a provocative one, another juicy one. And also want to say, whether you be... Republican, Democrat, one of the many strange creatures in between, Christian, atheist, you name it. We are glad that you are here. It's a nonpartisan channel. We have no stances uh, other than we just think dialogue and debate are good things, and we are glad to have you here. So with that, we're going to jump right into this discussion. Thank you again, gentlemen. Want to just basically, we, I guess, since Vosh is taking the affirmative and kind of let him get the ball rolling in terms of why he would take his stance. And then from there is just kind of right into the discussion. So 
Vosh, the floor is yours. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so Jordan B. Peterson is a figure that I've had conflicted feelings on for a while. I don't, I don't personally like him very much, but then, but that's largely irrelevant. You know, that can be aesthetic preferences. When it comes to his content, though, when it comes to the stuff he does, on one hand, I don't actually have much of a problem with the prescriptive judgments he makes in concerns to psychology and self-help. Now, now I, now I admit, um, I'm not, you know, a, 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 I don't have a doctorate in psychology. I don't really have the professional background to understand the extent of and the nature of the claims that he makes or their validity specifically. But the broader um, takes that he has, for example, the need of order in one's life, to take care of your to, of your surroundings, to be prescient, to be uh, disciplined and responsible, to take happiness as a measure from one's accomplishment, to not allow yourself to such and such, you know, chaos is a dragon. I, I don't actually disagree with a lot of that. Um, and there are probably a lot of young men, there are a lot of young men who stand to benefit from that advice. And in that respect, I have nothing but respect. Where my problems come in is that he is not actually known for his self-help. He achieved prominence when he published that video series following the uh, uh, voting into law, the, the legislation C-16 in Canada. And he did, the, he, he did this very... Um, this very performative, uh, oh, political correctness, free speech on campus, I will not be arrested for my views kind of thing. And, you know, it's fun and glad and dandy. But he's, his political takes, his historical takes, basically everything he does that deviates from his, from his background, from his field, are deeply troubling. Um, I mean, there's the obvious and inescapable sort of misogyny behind many of his propositions. Chaos is feminine, um, women wearing lipstick in the workplace. We don't know if men and women can work together. There are a lot of views there that I take issue with. But last but not least, and I, and I guess I shouldn't, you know, gish gallop, the main one that really gets me is his um, uh, 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 neo-cultural Marx. I'm actually forgetting the particular way he strings together these words. These um, neo-Marxist postmodernists or neo-postmodern postmodern neo-Marxists. There we go. It's le leaving aside the the problems in that terminology. Um, he he propagates this myth, and this is a very troubling myth to me because it leads inexorably towards fascism, and it is the myth that our institutions are crumbling under the weight of uh, uh, a conspiracy, a far-left, culturally Marxist conspiracy theory that has infiltrated essentially every aspect of Western society, that is now uh, enforcing its 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 authority by forcing us to use perhaps gender pronouns, you know, that the uh, recipient wishes to have used on them, and this is essentially fascist propaganda. It's mostly indistinguishable from cultural Bolshevism, the conspiracy theory that was so loved by the, the Nazis, the Nazis. And it makes me wonder, how much of this is poisoning the discourse? How many young men are getting a good sale on personal life advice mixed in with a lot of bad? That's what I worry about. Okay. You, you bet. All, all yours, Paul. Oh, well... The question to me was interesting because I don't really know how many people he's hurt, but I got interested in Jordan Peterson 
not so much because of the culture war issues. Those things caught my attention. I didn't know why a professor of psychology at University of Toronto would be kvetching over, um, uh, over gender fluid pronouns. What caught my attention was the fact that I heard a lot of people listening to him and saying things like they're interested in the Bible and they're interested in going to church. And as a pastor, I listened to this and I listened to Jordan Peterson and I noted he's not much of an institution builder. And so then my concern was who is going to come after Jordan Peterson with the people that he is talking to and help them find something a little bit, a little bit more sustainable to work on their lives with. And so then what I did was I, you know, I made a video about Jordan Peterson. I intended maybe to get some other interested conversation partners. And what began to happen was I started getting a steady stream of emails and requests for speaking to people. And as that happened, I started making, having conversations with people who had been watching Jordan Peterson quite a bit. And as I began talking to those people, I began sharing some of those conversations online when with the consent of the people that I was discussing it with and discovering that a good number of people found themselves finding relief from depression and probably probably depression from nihilism or something of them of something of that fact and finding themselves feeling a lot better performing better having some motivation to work on their personal lives to work on their relationships and I've just spent the last two years mostly talking to people that have pretty much said my life is better because I listened to Jordan Peterson and he, I followed his, you know, some of his advice, like do what is meaningful, not as, not what's expedient. And along the way, my life is better. And what I've done as a pastor is try to gather these people together so that they could support each other and make good goals and keep moving forward. And in that group have been mostly men, but, but a certain probably 20% of them have been women. Many of the women that began to follow me and seek out conversation with me but, but were mothers probably who had seen sons and nephews who had been struggling in school and after listening to Jordan Peterson actually began to get their lives on track. So I'm uncertain as to how many people have been hurt by Jordan Peterson, but I've got a pretty good sense of how many people have been helped by him. I um oh, okay is are we are we moving into open debate or is there a um you bet gotcha gotcha hell yeah um oh oh yeah I'm so I'm so happy I was afraid we were gonna have like another like um uh, uh like bad faith shouting match this is fantastic okay so I don't disagree with anything that you said I strongly disagree not sorry disagree that's a very uh, a, a light word for what i feel i despise the alienation that has gripped so many people um in, in our society you know the um the, this this detachment from oneself one uh, the detachment from an ability to sort of pursue meaningful work and there are a ton of there are so many um there are so many disciplines that try to pursue this question for example like the uh the anti-capitalist wrote like method of describing this would be like alienations from one work and one's community brought about by the material like modernization of social student and the, the the commodification of life you know but there's a million ways that you can approach that i would love very much so to help um or to or to see people help with their depression my concern though is um 
Have you ever heard, I, I don't know how much you like, um, how, what like horrid corners of the internet you like poke your head into from time to time. Have you ever heard of a, um, a place called uh, the Red the red pill i've heard of the red pill sure oh yeah okay <laughs> uh, i'm glad its reputation proceeds it's this community and, and i don't know how much exactly you know but it's it's a community on on reddit though it has like branches elsewhere um and it's it's a very virulently misogynistic self-help community that advocates men are like intrinsically superior to women and women should um women women should be like the 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 second in command of their own lives and men need to be strong and learn how to manipulate women's emotions in order to get, maximize their gain out of life and women enjoy this process because women are designed to be like emotionally subservient um and 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 the red pill isn't as relevant as it used to be but i remember back in the day when talking about whether or not this was a horrid place people um people would say like um this place is disgusting. It's filled with virulent misogyny. These people talk about like why rape should be legal. Like these people are beyond the pale. And then somebody else would say, true, okay, fine, fair. However, they have given me a lot of advice, you know? Go outside, you gotta exercise, eat clean. And they would list off these like self-help tidbits that like um that resonated with them. To which the the response, you know, is don't you think there are there are other ways and from other communities that you could have learned those messages? And that's my problem with JBP. And you, I think, might partially agree with that because you, if I'm understanding what you said correctly, you're of the opinion that there's not much longevity to the advice that he offers because it's centered almost around a, a cult of personality he holds. I don't know if the advice centers around a cult of personality, but I think we've, I think now since his retreat from the stage because of the um, I think the illness of his wife and then his hospitalization, I think that sort of marks the end of at least the first Jordan Peterson wave. We have we have yet to see if there'll be a second wave when he publishes his new book, if he does another speaking tour. Many of the people who have watched his videos reached a, a saturation point at some point. And so they they got motivated to clean up their room. But again, as a pastor, I know that people can go to a church service, they can see hear a sermon or see a presentation they can be moved and they can make all kinds of pledges to improve their lives but what does it take to actually improve your life that we are far more shaped by our habits than our by our habits than we are by our intentions and so the community that has gathered around me i highly doubt too many misogynists would want to listen to one to two hour messages and conversations by a christian minister because they're not going to get that sort of anti-woman slant. And so that's, that hasn't been the community that has gathered around me. Whether some people would pick up certain strains of what Jordan has to say and interpret it in a misogynist or in, you know, in a, in a certain light, Peterson himself has on a various occasions rejected this, this alt-right tag and I think, I think reasonably so, because at least, I mean, Canadian politics are a little bit to the left of American politics. And if you listen to a lot of his older messages, he was sort of a moderate Canadian in terms of, I mean, he believes in the Canadian healthcare system and all of this. So in terms of tracking him in that way, but people are prone to listen to messages and interpret it in the ways that they find useful and then propagate it with their own slants. And so that people would take this with his messages, that's fine. But I, I don't know what, if there will be a chapter two for Jordan Peterson on the public stage, like there was a chapter one. 
And so my intention was, well, those people who have been energized and motivated by his message, what can I do to build a community around them to make their lives better? That's been my goal. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's an extremely reasonable goal. What, well, obviously I, th I think it's an admirable one. What, so, so distancing Peterson from the, the community he often fosters, which I think anyone could charitably describe perhaps as a mixed bag, you've experienced from his community, a group of people who are earnest in their desire to seek self-improvement and not bogged down with the, with the, the, the mile of reactionary politics. What specific, um, what specific pieces of advice do you think he offers that really resonate with um, with the people who need that help, like I know that obviously, like the clean clean your room, like I know I know that's like a classic one. But in your experience, what parts of what he says like really hit home with those people? I I think so. So for many of the people, a lot of the the impact they received, at least again, this is part of a this is part of a sample bias because I'm a Christian minister and I started making commentaries on his biblical series. So then my question was. And really, I got into him and started studying him because I wanted to know why there are, you know, thousands of churches, including my own, that have plenty of empty seats. And this Canadian psychologist could fill a, a moderately sized concert hall in Toronto, charging 40 bucks a seat, selling out each time, giving two plus hour lectures on the Bible. I mean, what is that about? And to me, it showed a hunger in our society for a level, well, for a certain kind of biblical commentary of all things that people had an intense hunger for. And those people who listened to it couldn't really tell me what they were getting out of it. And so that drove me to ask those questions and to try to figure out what on earth is going on. And I think it has a lot to do with the the emptiness of a secular life and the resonance that our connection to the past via nearly, you know, via age old stories offers to people who look around and say, what, what, why am I alive? What does it matter? And, you know, that was obviously something that in terms of my church background, I'm equipped to do. So I pursued it. And, um, and I think that part has been more significant than, you know, his 12 rules for life. He had, you know, some of the rules I think are, are helpful, but I don't think the Jordan Peterson impact has anything to do with the little cliched rules and bits of advice that he gives. Cause a lot of that stuff has been around forever. And a lot of mothers were a little bit annoyed by the fact that their son started listening to this guy saying stuff that they had been telling their sons. Yeah. And yeah the mom and dad have been saying time. for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, okay, wait, hold on. I got to challenge you on that. Do you feel there's an inherent emptiness to secular life? Or do you think that secularity might course or like there might be a correlation between the two? I think a lot of people felt a void. So there's been another Canadian psychologist that I've done some work with named John Verveke. And, and he's, he's labeled what he calls a meaning crisis. Now, this isn't new. You can, you can pretty much pervasive throughout the 20th century, people have been struggling with meaning and nihilism. And, and meaning actually is, see, for Jordan Peterson, meaning is a sacrament. It connects us to the transcendent and the divine. And I think a lot of people struggled with meaning, especially men. 
because I don't think men, men in our, there's a whole lot here. Before the age of 22, many people in our society are given no responsibility. And they're expected to just keep going through school until they get out of college. And then maybe someone will give them a responsibility, which is a very different thing from how human beings have lived for just about the rest of human history. And I think what Jordan Peterson helped put on the map is that their life does mean something and they should get going with it. And some people took him up at his offer and discovered, yeah, that's, that's really important. And, but again, I saw that you're motivated to do something in a minute. You're going to need something <clears throat> to help you. Keep doing it. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree that this is typically a problem that men face, especially because masculinity has seen so much deconstruction over the past 50 years in a way that I don't believe femininity has. Um, and then there are a wide variety of social reasons for that. And I'm, I mean, I'm a gender abolitionist. I support that process. I don't want there to be men or women or anything really. But I do recognize that as they exist now, men as the construct are struggling. And I do want something done about that. The issue that I have here is that it's very easy to... Um, it's very easy to ascribe solutions that end up having really bad consequences down the road. After all, the 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 characteristic alienated young man, you know, lonely, not particularly good with women. These are all fairly rote tropes. This is the um, this is the pool from which pretty much all political radicalization stems from. Uh, whether that be far left socialist, um, whether that be ISIS suicide bomber, this is like the this is like the 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 mis the still water mosquito breeding ground from which you can get a lot of really extreme political views. And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people are brought about to political radicalization through what is essentially loneliness and alienation. But I'm also worried that some attempts to fix that might end up leading these people down roads that are unsustainable or, 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 or actively detrimental to society, which is why, and I have to bring it back to this, I, in your experience, you've met a lot of people who have benefited from JBP's teachings, or, or, or at least the message resonated. That's great. I, I wouldn't, yeah, no problem with that. Um, the issue I have is that in the context of his broader popularity, which is aligned for the most part with right-leaning politics, what with him getting his start with the trans pronoun thing in C16 and such and such, um, it feels as though it's very difficult to distinguish people who genuinely could benefit from JBP and his advice and his outlook and people who are just along for the ride who might end up going down a really bad road a year or two or three down that way. And there are secular people I know too who have jumped in on JBP, quite a few of them. And it's probably not for his biblical talks, it's probably for the political ascriptions that he sort of um, pushes into his self-help rhetoric. I think Jordan Peterson was something of a Rorschach test. A, a lot of people gathered around him from a lot of different agenda areas. One of the things that I did early on, so I started making videos and people are like, well, people in Sacramento started talking to me. Well, we should do a meetup. And I thought, well, I don't know. Okay, I've got a church building. I'm used to leading small groups. Let's do a meetup. And so I, you know, put something on meetup.com and people started coming and I began to, so who's going to show up to this thing? Most of the, mostly men, probably again, um, eight out of 10 were men. And 
I was curious, are these going to be the proverbial basement dwellers who are living in their mom's basement covered with Cheetos dust, playing video games and looking at porn all day? Uh, most of the men that showed up were in fact doing very well in terms of, you know, they had a job, they're earning very good money. They're, they're actually quite well put together. Many of them single, um, a few people struggling in some of those ways that, that we imagine Jordan's followers were. One of the things that came out very quickly is that many of the men are dealing with a difficulty in terms of what I call the generational handshake, and which is men and women finding each other, establishing a stable, monogamous relationship, having children, and being able to manage a marriage, which is not an easy thing for anyone, being able to marriage, manage a marriage well for the long term. I think part of what got people's interest is, ironically, Jordan Peterson comes out and starts advocating for some of these traditional positions. And so that's why a lot of conservatives sort of gathered around him. But <coughs> what I, so it was, it was interesting because I suddenly have this group of men around me and my wife goes off to Tahoe with a group of friends and she comes back to me and says, you know, do you know any guys who are like in their mid thirties and have good careers and are single? Cause I just spent a whole weekend with a whole bunch of 30 something women <coughs> who have been successful in their careers and they would love nothing better than to find a man to settle down with. And so what we've seen I think is good news, this, fellas. <laughs> well, except, you know, most of the men in my group are just a little bit too young. And the difficulty is that I think you're right in that society for the last 40, 50 years has been trying to renegotiate what what it means to be a woman in our society. And so there have been a, there's been a tremendous amount of emphasis and focus on that aspect. And there's been relatively little work done on the on the men's side of the equation. And so what we have right now is we have a lot of men and a lot of women who have a lot of dissatisfaction with whether men and women can find each other and settle down and get married, have children and continue the species. And so I don't know and Jordan Peterson sort of came out and said, "You know what? You should you know, you should stop living with your girlfriend. You should marry her." and you should settle down and form a family. I found a lot of women who are, I, I, was, I find a lot of women who are actually quite excited to hear that someone is telling men to stop using women for sex and to make a commitment and to actually be a man, which means follow through with your word, make a commitment, stay in there when times are hard, because that's what it means to be a man. And people got that message from Jordan Peterson and I thought that's a positive message. So I, I agree with what you've said. There has been reconstruction done in, in what we understand femininity to mean and not so much done in regards to men. I know, and I, I say this because I, I live stream, you know, I talk to a decent number of people. There are a lot of dudes who have absolutely no idea how they're meant to live their lives. On one hand, there's the archetypically masculine, the hegemonic, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you just get your job and you settle down, you marry, you know, quickly and you have the children. And, um, and then on the other hand, like, many of the social institutions that made that a viable choice 40, 50 years ago are starting to wear a bit. A lot of the social and, and literal institutions, what with uh, the wages not rising to meet uh, cost of living standards. And it, it leaves people in a, in a bit of a 
a bit of a bind when it comes to where to move forward from that point. And I don't, I don't know if what Jordan B. Peterson advocates, this sort of Christian traditionalism, is that way. I don't know. I don't know if it's sustainable in the long run. It feels to me like everything that we had upon which that gender dynamic was built is is on a train and it is hurtling towards a mountainside. And what Jordan B. Peterson is doing is making sure people don't jump off the train before it hits. I feel like the the systems he's trying to advocate for are worn thin. They're wearing. And what we're going to see, even in regards to the people who are just earnestly interested in self-help, is that a little bit down the line, they've moved forward without realizing the rug's kind of been shuffled a little bit to the side. I imagine we're probably going to see people who, in their pursuit of sort of a traditional gender dynamic, um, aren't really capable of keeping up with society's rapidly evolving expectations for how people are supposed to behave. It's in essence, a reactionary wave, a, a, a response to alienation from society with what has worked for centuries but may no longer. And that's why I'm, I'm hoping, you say that JBP's self-help may not have the longevity it needs, I'm hoping that if something comes next or if something substitutes that, it might be a little bit more um, institutional. It might be be more interested in tackling what it is with society that is causing people's problems than the idea that a, a dearth in personal discipline and traditional responsibility are responsible for the loneliness and, and absence that so many men feel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what, 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 you, what you're referring to when you talk about the train hurtling towards the mountainside. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is that train or what's on that train? I feel like the traditional gendered expectations. Jordan Peterson talks about it a lot himself. You know, we don't know the rules for how men and women are to, supposed to work together in the workplace. Um, and as segments of the society become more sort of progressive, marriage is becoming less and less of a viable option for people. It's I, marriage rates are declining, divorce rates increasing. I feel like the, this this almost it's not necessarily countercultural. This this revival of cultural efforts to impose traditional gender standards might inadvertently put people in a position where they are forced to break rather than bend, not meaningfully address what's going on with society and try to rectify that with your personal expectations, but rather stoically continue the course to plant your feet firmly on the ground and act well and act traditionally and act like a man in spite of whatever might change between now and the future. And that's a little worrying for me. I don't know, I don't know how that's going to pan out in the long run. You know what I mean? Yeah. From what I'm seeing, it's that women, women are being so I did a meetup in San Francisco. Um just Beautiful in city. connection. Oh, it's a gorgeous city. Um and I did a meetup in San Francisco in conjunction with a Jordan Peterson event. The 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 people setting up the event offered me a room to do a meetup and, you know, I could get tickets sold and stuff. A, a fair number of women came to that meetup that don't usually come to my Sacramento meetups. And most of those women were in their mid thirties. And a lot of these women were angry because a lot of these women said, when I was in my twenties, people told me my career would be fulfilling and I've pursued my career and I've been very successful. And now I'm in my mid thirties and I look at my mother's life. 
who had children and a husband and a home. And I think she made the better choice and I feel robbed. Now, I also talked to men that I remember talking to one man and he was in his, he's in his thirties and he had been together with his girlfriend, lived with her for about three or four years. And he told me, he said, she's been, she's been putting more and more pressure on to make a commitment and get married and have a child. And I kind of feel like the relationship has plateaued and there's a, there's an opportunity in another city. And so I'm kind of thinking maybe of, of, you know, he didn't say it, but basically (coughs) of ditching. And what he had done is lived with his girlfriend for the last four years or so, which for him, you know, he moves to another city, he's in his mid thirties, finds another girlfriend, maybe in her twenties or thirties and moves on with his life. This, and you know, Hey, no harm, no foul. I never promised you anything. But in the meantime, that's a strategy. That's right. This woman has spent four years of her life investing in him and getting nothing out of it. I now know more and more women now in their thirties, looking at in vitro fertilization in order to try to have a child without a man. Now I have, I have had five kids. And so I I know with with my wife and I've been together 31 years, I know what it takes to raise a child and it is not easy and it is not getting easier. And so people keep talking about, well, this traditional, this traditional landscape, maybe that won't work. I have yet to see someone that has, is proposing something that would work, especially for children. Because what I've seen in talking to a good many people is that the nihilism and the depression, almost all of them have told me stories about their parents breaking up and their parents, their father's new girlfriend or their mother's new boyfriend and on and on. I don't see a lot of hope in that, in that line. And I don't have a lot of confidence that we're just going to make something up that works better than what we've done before, as difficult as what we've done before has been. I um I, I I worry that a lot of the um a lot of the ascriptions we make of past times are are are, are tainted by rose-colored glasses. Um, a lot of people. This is commonly cited. For example, a lot of people speak about how um, uh, uh, women are now less happy than they were back before it was commonly accepted for a woman to work. That women's liberation in the workplace um, has, or sorry, liberation in the workplace has uh, has come at a cost of their happiness, and that makes a kind of intuitive sense after all. I mean, it's, it's work, it's, you know, and it's probably not as intuitively fulfilling as as raising a family. As people, everyone loves raising families. I mean, being around kids, I think these are just dopamine machines. I, do you have no, any okay, children? No, uh, I know. I'm sorry. Do you have any children? No, I do not. I'm, I'm, I know. I was, and I was about to say, caveat, not a parent. I don't know. I like kids. They're nice, you know. I can <laughs> devil to raise. I, I do not doubt it. I do not doubt it. But I think fundamentally, people like raising kids, and in a broader spiritual sense. And, um, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of things we'd like to gloss over when we look at how the traditional dynamic happened sort of in the past. Um, back in, with, the, with the nuclear family, you know, when it was more common. We can choose an arbitrary time period, 50s, 60s. But there was, a, there was a, a lot of abuse. In fact, spousal rape wasn't even recognized until fairly recently in some states. Um, and there was a lot of, I think, genuine unhappiness that was painted over by the, um, 
by the expectation that everyone keep going and pretend everything's fine. That stiff upper lip mentality. That's not to say it's necessarily worse than what we have now, but the reason why things fell apart, I don't think is because of like feminism or, or, or radical progressive or, or cultural Marxism or anything like that. I think it's rather because the economic circumstances that allowed people to support themselves in the nuclear family just kind of fell apart. You can no longer live off one income in a family, at least not, not for 90% of Americans. So now people are working gig jobs. The, uh, the unemployment is incredibly low, but underemployment is radically high. People don't really know if in six months they're going to have the same job. People don't really have a sense of attachment to their workplace. And people are owning homes with less and less often. More and more empty properties are getting bought up by um, by exorbitantly wealthy companies that are using them as like um, investment opportunities. And it seems like the American dream is is, is dying. And I think those gender roles were part of the American dream. I And, and this is where... This is where I unveil my true power level, because um, I, I believe that humans work best um, operating communally. I think that one of the most horrific things that that modern liberalism, like capitalism, the the you know any, anything post enlightenment, one of the most horrid things it's done to us is it's forced us off to cordoned us into these little suburban boxes where you don't know the name of your neighbor across the street where you you work gig jobs you barely know the name of your employees before you're fettered out to work your next you you're alienated and i think that's what people are suffering from really and it happens in our relationships too nobody has the monetary to commit there's no the bedrock is gone it's just people now lonely and and trying not to end up on the street which is easy there are a lot of support programs out there at least it's easy for some but to live comfortably that is incredibly hard now and i wonder if we couldn't accommodate this this new frenetic life which will surely soon see changes with a different type of dynamic a different way of addressing that alienation socialism i i i <laughs> throwing it in at the end so you keep socialism underneath <laughs> just need to slide it underneath the paper slip under the door oh socialism how'd you get in uh, here i you know i agree with a lot of what you a lot of what you're saying it's interesting, however, that in almost every case, uh, women initiate divorce, yet divorce is almost always catastrophic for the women and children. And so, whereas I certainly agree with you that the um, the past, the past, let's say the the past corporate model, where in the fifties and sixties you had the company man who had a pension being managed by the corporation and good job security and sufficient income so that his wife could, you know, stay home with the kids. I, I think a lot of people would give their eye teeth for that today. And, and that's simply gone. And so there's, there's no question in my mind, I've, I've lived and worked most of my life in black communities in America. My father um, planted a church in the struggling black community of the first ward of Patterson, New Jersey. I live in a multi-everything community in Sacramento, California. And the, the economic factors undermining many of these communities' ability to sustain a marriage is significant. On the other hand, and I, I very much agree with you that humans work best operating communally, and as a pastor, what I would say is that the question is, how can people work communally? 
because the struggles that people have working community are sometimes financial. But again, in most cases, even if there's one of the members of the family is marginally or underemployed, the other member of the family is better employed, you've still got two income earners, if they can get along, you know, managing to keep one household together, and generally speaking, financially, people do better that way. I've known people, there was one young man who was coming to church for a while, and his parents were divorced and still living together. They hated each other's Ooh. guts, but they couldn't afford to live separately. And so on one hand, there certainly is the economic aspect, but on the other hand, what it actually takes to for, for two people to get along over 20, 30 years goes way beyond some romantic notions of love. And I completely agree with you that a big part of this has been the demise of institutions and institutional learning that not only encourages people to work hard on their marriages and their relationships with the people with which they share a home, but also provide support to help them get along. In many cases, if a marriage is in crisis, within six years, they'll work it out if they can stick with it and work on it and negotiate it out. And, and there are, you know, just the way that society is structured now, and I think it's a good thing that society, you know, a woman can get out of a marriage just as easily as a man can today. And I think that's a good thing. The difficulty that we have are when people come into marriage with sort of a, a selfish personal aspect that says, I'm going to stay in this relationship for as long as it suits me. Um, you're never going to be able to build a marriage on that. And there's going to have to be another foundation upon which the relationship needs to, needs to stand for the marriage to be sustainable and have really legs going into the future. Okay. Uh, 100% agreed. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think two points to that. The first thing that I would ask, um, so I, okay. So I, I, I'm really split on this. On one hand, and, and I can be open about my position on this, I, um, I I believe very much in like polyamory. I want like polycules to be an ideal relationship. I think that people are generally stronger in structures of more than two people. Um, obviously, <laughs> as being young, I've met plenty of people who've had less than successful, you know, uh, um, triages into that type of lifestyle. But I, but I, I think that under cer certain circumstances, it can produce pretty stable bonds. And I, I wouldn't, uh, be opposed to seeing this explored kind of as a broader model. So my bias here is evident. And sometimes I do think in that way that you just described rather disparagingly this, I'm in here for my own benefit, excluding a kid, by the way, of course, I don't have a child, I wouldn't just like ditch in a child. But I'm here for my benefit. If I'm not having fun, I can dip. That's my right. I have that right. And on one hand, there is some validity to that. I get one life, you know, I, I, I don't believe in afterlife personally, even you would agree we have one life here. Um, I've, I've got, you know, my one chance. I'm, I don't, I'm, I, don't want more, I don't want more than one here. So that's fair, you know, that to the reincarnation folks. <laughs> like, I believe in reincarnation. You want to come around again? <laughs> Listen, okay, don't, don't depress my chat members. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's listen, look, life is suffering. It's good character building. The um God, I I um how do you how do you strike a happy balance between getting people to commit? And I mean that in the healthiest way imaginable, not like to your dying breath you're bound, but how do you get people to invest in one another 
without getting people to paint over the red flags. Um, because abuse in relationships is like a really common thing in, in every segment of society, every race, every type of relationship, homosexual, heterosexual, every age, this happens like a lot. And the ability to divorce easily is good in a way because it lets people get out of that situation unless they have kids or unless they don't have the money to. But on the other hand, a frivolity of thought when we, when we approach relationships probably does lead to us feeling kind of empty at the end of the day. How do, you, how do you find a working ground between painting over abuse and horrid relationships people should get out of and encouraging people to stick it out, to be together? A couple nights ago, I, I watched the uh, Netflix, I watched the is the documentary surviving r kelly and that was a fascinating program in terms <laughs> that was of, a hot one yeah oh Ooh, wow was... and so you know you've got you've got women who are living in separate rooms in his studio who you know are peeing into a bucket and have to check in with him to leave their room and he's having them in all kinds of different permutations taking videotapes of it a bunch of these women are underage and towards the end of it there's one mother who is trying to get her daughter out of there after nine years mm. and you know there's no there's you know they, they haven't been able to lock this man up because none of the women seem to want to you know go to court and say yeah this is what he did and so that, I think, is an illustration of just how tricky psychologically dynamics of abuse can be. And anyone who's, who's dealt with battered women and some of those dynamics know just how, just how difficult this can be when you really have a monster manipulator, someone like R. Kelly, at least that, that program certainly portrayed him to be. So that is certainly, that is certainly something. I think deep, uh, I think, the deep problem with <laughs> our contemporary approach is simply this. We look at people as means to an end. This person or even this relationship is a way to make me happy. And, and that's the commodification of other human beings. And I believe that human beings are not to be used, but are to be loved. Now you have the question. Now, then we say, well, how can we get people to? Well, first of all, let me tell you as the pastor, there's no getting people to do anything. You know, I, I, I make a living talking to people and telling what they're all willing to support me saying to them and them turning around and not wanting to do it because it is not natural for us to love in the kind of ways we all want to be loved. And what it takes, and I think you're very much when you say humans work best operating in community, because what it takes is for the community to be gathered and focused and an agreement around certain values and factors such as human beings are to be loved and not used. And what that means when you go into a marriage is that you say, I am not going into this marriage for my happiness. I am going into this marriage for the sake of the other. Now, there's definitely that can get twisted in an abusive relationship, and that certainly does happen, and there needs to be intervention when that does happen. But what it takes is for one person to basically say, I'm going to lay down my life for another person. Now, usually not to that extreme, but you, when you have a child, you lay down your life 
life for that child because there's no more selfish individual in the world than a newborn because that newborn wakes up in the middle of the night and says, I want to be fed. I want to be changed. I want it right now. You talk to that newborn all you want, it ain't going to make a difference. And so what we do and what marriage actually teaches us is to learn to love. And what love means is to lay down our life and give our lives for others. And how do you how do you create a community where where people live that way and are surrounded by that value? Well, that's what I do as a pastor. We as a society have looked at that and said, well, we don't think we want that. It's like, okay. But then you get the then you get the consequence of people saying, I want to find someone who's going to make me happy. Well, that's sort of a nice way of saying, I'm going to use this other person for my happiness. And I'd say long-term, whether it's two people or three people or four people, it doesn't work. There are a lot of, I can see in my chat scrolling by, there are a lot of people who like that take. Um, To clarify, what do you mean by it's not natural to love someone in the way way, uh, you want to be loved? I think all of us would like to imagine we can be with someone who will love for us and care for us. And let's say something would happen to us. We'd get in a car accident. We'd get Alzheimer's, something like this, that our spouse would stand by us until the day we die. That's what we all want. But for that, and I've, I've seen enough spouses who's, you know, who, who their wife or their husband had Alzheimer's or a stroke and, and they, you know, they, they cleaned up after them, they fed them, they cared for them, and they did it sometimes for years, even decades. We all want that out of others, but what it takes to do, to give, requires not just, I want to be the kind of person that takes care of my spouse. It actually does take a community that has the values that reinforce that kind of sacrificial giving. And one of the things that you said earlier, I think comes into that. When we say in our lives, I have just one life, this is my shot to get happiness and meaning and everything I want out of it. If you go into life that way, at some point, you're going to look at the equation and say, I'm sitting here tied to this person that has Alzheimer's. I could dump them in a hospital and no one would, this person wouldn't even know. They don't even remember my name and then go out and get my happiness because after all, I deserve it. That's what society is saying. And this is the the results we're seeing in society is what you get from that kind of valuation. And now I would argue as a Christian minister that actually, if in this world, you make this world better, if you actually can imagine to say, you know what, I can, I can sacrifice my time and my life for this spouse that I've had a couple relationship with, but I'm going to be faithful to him or her until they die. Because actually, I believe I have, you know, I have eternity to live, which will be a lot better than this place right here. So I can do that. Now, again, I appreciate the fact that most of us hear that and say, I don't know about that. But that's because we're looking at life through one set of lenses. But we sure want our neighbors and our spouses and our children to believe that. And so if we want them to believe it, well, it takes a community that actually keeps raising up those values and puts them forward. And I think that's part of the reason that we have all of these ideas that well, we deserve to be loved. Well, do we have what it takes to actually love? Pretty convincing. I um, <clears throat> There's a deep philosophical split on this one, I think. Um, 
not even a split necessarily, a split perspective or, or maybe um, a, um, uh, an incongruence between two values. Because I agree with everything that you just said in regards to the, the, the validity in loving people beyond utilitarianism. The, to 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 be able to appreciate one's company or to um to to care for someone even if in some broad hard numbers sense you recognize that the um the the the, the your life uh, you you know utility is not being maxed out by those actions it's it's important however to stick by those things and everyone's fondest memories of compassion and trust i think are from people who did that. If they were sick or unwell and somebody else cared for them, even though it would have made all the sense in the world for them to leave, for many people, this would be parents. For some people, it would be a close partner. For some, it would even be their children. And 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 that's what everyone wants. And you're right, not everyone has a mindset which is um, amicable towards that mentality. Though I suppose if you really went back on it, uh, if, if you really you know parsed the numbers or something, you could argue that the sublime experience of deep reciprocal un, uh, uh, um, unconditional compassion between two people would maximize utility but that's it's, it's, it's a mindset thing um hmm. a question then in regards to jbp then to cycle to cycle it back i think to, to the man himself this is one issue that I have with him that i think extends to his self-help more specifically than it does his politics he's said Somewhat hypocritically, it turned out, um, because he's now, you know, um, being taken care of for his addiction problem, which I w won't make fun of. I don't think that's prudent at all. But um, he did say that it is um, one should ensure their room is clean before trying to change the world. Essentially, that you should make sure your own house is in order, everything's set, you're fine, you're good, before affecting change. But you and I agree on something. A lot of the reason why people are experiencing this horrid alienation from their life, their inability to form meaningful bonds, is because a lot of the institutional structures that made those livelihoods possible and affordable have begun to crumble. And this is one key distinction I have here. I think that in many cases, one's room is unclean because of the society in which we live. And in order to clean that room, that society must be changed. I would see, for example, the economic superstructures that are failing so many people right now changed, not necessarily by people who have their act together, but from the people who don't because of those systems. Do you, do you agree or disagree with that? I, I agree. The difficulty that we have with systems are that they are made of people. And so what, you know, what, what sort of, you know, it's always it's always hard to know. Well, just think about, you know, whatever group of people you're living with now, if you're living with other people, maybe it's in the, the context of an apartment building, or maybe it's in a neighborhood, or maybe it's within one house, one household, you could say, well, you know, what does it take for us to be a household that keeps our own house clean and, and does this is and so if you've ever lived with roommates in college, you know, you have some roommates that are slobs and some roommates who are neatniks. And so you could say, well, well, which is it? Is it us as a group or is it us as an individual? And it's always both and my, you know, one of the, one of the, when he said, you know, keep, you know, you know, keep your house in perfect order before you go out to fix the world, basically. Perfect was such a poor choice of words there because the truth is none of us are perfect. 
but the, the question of society first or the individual first, that's always a very difficult one. What I like to, what I like to say is that without individuals, nothing changes and without institutions, nothing lasts. And so part of what we're seeing is that there's certainly, you know, the market in some ways likes to incentivize, um, likes to incentivize the commodification of people. And, and that's a real problem. And I, so, I agree completely. And so employers who, you know, I, and, you know, politically, I mean, so I, I mean, you might have, you know, you probably don't know anything about my politics, but it doesn't matter. I, I, I have a problem with, with, with industries that don't give health care to their employees. If we're going to have employers, if we're going to run health care through employers, and I would be in favor of, you know, a lot more than that. And so I, there's no question in my mind that we can use some structural change, but the question of individual versus societal, that's a weakness, I think, with Jordan Peterson that I, I think was manifest in his program that I saw as a pastor, because again, I saw he's out there talking about the individual. Great. You know, it, it's very true that I can't change anyone I'm living with. I can only change myself. I should be the change to use that little thing and act the way I want others to others to act. I have to do that first, but you're exactly right. And that's what I'm saying in terms of marriage, there needs to be an institution and a community around us that reinforces those values. And community certainly works better when we have some assurance that the others with which we are sharing this community have the same value. It's being reinforced and we can all work on it together. Yeah. Um, if you... Huh. I'm trying to I'm trying to think like what would so politics aside and uh, and of course well there is no such thing all of this is deeply political but to, I should say um, the uh, um, political differences between myself and JBP aside I'm trying to think now what would be what would be the the optimal JBP if you could con if you could construct them somehow somebody. A person sent, I don't know if you're from God, I don't know. So somebody constructed to help people out of the alienation which seems to accompany modern society. When I think of that person, I think of, I, I'm of course biased by my politics. I think of somebody who's, who's very far left, who wants to build a really strong economic base to allow everyone to live a dignified life because um, we have the money for it, at least here in America. We could, with with proper incentive structures, have everyone live at, at least a, a, a lower middle class living with um, with um, with no like substantive economic issues to to ensure everyone can enjoy a baseline standard of living, which is certainly above what welfare provides us today, which is which is pitiful in, in this day and age in this country, um, and which encourages people to to form strong communal relations with others, to be trusting and open, to be disciplined. Absolutely, it, it's, that's important, but um, but also to be open to the possibility that sometimes. The, the issues that are affecting their life are, are not a, an, an evidence of, of, of personal failing, but rather evidence that the, the, the house in which they live, the society in which they live, needs correcting to ensure a revolutionary mindset in people, a, a, a willingness always to challenge social institutions so that there will always be a um, um, sort of the civil spirit necessary to maintain the common dignity 
of the average citizen. What would what would be what does an ideal JBP look to you? Like how do they deliver that? Oh, I think I think we we have the JBP that there is, and I think he's done a lot of good, and I'm satisfied with that. I I'm reluctant to boil. I'm reluctant to boil these issues down to economics. I spent seven years of my life living in the Dominican Republic, working mostly with Haitians, and I cannot recall a single instance of a suicide attempt amongst those Haitians. And these people, for the most part, were illegal immigrants in a far poorer country than the United States, living in in grass huts and shacks made of garbage and basically working for tyrannical either government organizations or coffee growers and scratching out a living, you know, working gardens. I watched the David Chappelle thing on Netflix last night and he makes the point at the beginning of it, Anthony Bourdain has about the best job that any of us could imagine flying around the world, eating the world's best food, talking to the world's most interesting people. That's his job and he kills himself. And the Haitians living in those huts in the Dominican Republic, I never once heard of a suicide. And so the confidence that I have that a predominantly economic program would yield the kind of well-being we imagine, I don't think actually pertains. Because as a pastor, you get to see the lives of people. And I've seen a lot of very unhappy people with a lot of money. And a lot of people who enjoy life, you know, I grew up mostly around African-American folks. And, you know, some of the best times I've had have been with just hanging out with junkies and poor folks. And, and you know, yeah, life is hard, but they've got meaning and happiness. And I think, again, one of the, the, one of the main things that Peterson communicated was that the quest for happiness is not as simple as we imagine it to be. And what's actually true is that meaning is a far more sustainable is a far more sustainable entity and that which in fact is most in distress. Every now and then I'll do a sermon that touches on suicide. One of the things I noted is that one of the places in the United States with the highest suicide rate was a high school in Silicon Valley. The the children of the titans of industry that have more going for them in terms of economic security than any of us on this channel would ever hope for. And so I think if we're looking for well-being predominantly from an economic rearrangement, I think we'll be dissatisfied. Uh, yeah, I <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's one of the grand paradoxes, right? Right now, the suicide rate in America is at its highest for um, middle-aged white men who are demographically much better off than many of the other constituencies. Suicide rates are, as you've noted, for the, at least for the American black community, um, substantially lower than they are on average for the white community. It's the same for Hispanics. I'm inclined to believe this is because of their family structure. Also, there's a... Which a, is traditional. Oh, no denying that. But I wonder if the um, if the conditions of traditional family structures and how they positively affect one's well-being could be supplemented in a less traditional way that nonetheless keeps the spirit of the original organization. I remember, this is, this is something that's always stuck with me. It's something that I read a very long time ago. Um, 
I, I bothered to I did I did bother to look it up. It is true, <laughs> even if the citations have left me now. But I remember there was a Greek philosopher who existed some two thousand whatever ancient Greek philosopher, and he was interested in the study of happiness, which I guess we would now term as like meaningfulness or well being or contentedness, because it wasn't just like haha happy. Um, and what he discovered, and he was laughed at, he was ridiculed by his contemporaries because all the other philosophers were learning about form and meaning and the, the essence of consciousness. And he was off trying to find how to have a good time. And what he discovered, you know, from, from his uh, teachings, at least, was that the best way for a human being to be happy would be for them to live along with eight to 12 friends in a villa, which was suitably sized such they all had private bedrooms, but shared communal spaces such as living rooms, dining rooms, kitchens, and such. And he believed after all of his life that this was the optimal way for human beings to live. And he died, as one does. And other people, I think, um, eventually took towards following his writings after his passing. Epicurus? Epicurus, chat Epicurus. says. that's him, yep. Uh, okay, thank ah. Epicurus. I sound much smarter now. And, and, and other people took that teaching. And I am, I am deeply moved by that idea because I've kind of wanted the same thing my life too. I grew up with very good parents, you know, and I'm very happy for, for everything they gave me. But it was nonetheless a boxy home where I knew not the names of my neighbors. The idea of living in a shared space is almost like a dorm. I think this is why so many people have fond memories of their dorm experiences and probably corresponding negative ones as well. Um, the idea of living like that, it's, it's very in, in, enticing to me. And if you want to branch it out into sort of more of a, a, a relationship dynamic, there's the, there's the potential for sort of segmented, like your space with you and your partner, then the broader space with other families. And maybe you have the <clears throat> kids, but you know the others well enough that they could babysit for you like on the way out. And you share, like two of you share a kitchen or two groups. This is, it's very compelling. And what would be needed to see changes like that or changes like how we structure homes so people live together or changes in the workplace to ensure that workers aren't like just getting through the day with no ability to talk to one another due to really oppressive corporate rules. All of these are economic changes. The How we design our homes, how we build our workplaces, how our schools are designed. How do we teach resource officers to deal with those who are suffering from depression? How much emphasis do we place on people's well-being following a depressive episode? All of these are economic or social changes, and that's what I really want to see. Not just making everyone wealthier, but building these structures that are that are facilitated around human happiness rather than, than capital acquisition. And I feel like, at least from what you said, that at least in, in regards to the sentiment, you may agree with a lot of that. Well... The question I would have is: Twenty three hundred years ago, Epicurus tried this. Why didn't it? Why didn't it win the day? And then my question for you would be: When you go on vacation, do you stay in a hostel or a hotel? Well, I will admit that I stay in a hotel. I have heard people say that they have positive experiences from hostels, and there might be other reasons why that's the case. Hostels tend to be very um, disgusting, for example. Um, but if, for example, there was a Who way makes to them disgusting, 
Oh, well, of people, of course. <laughs> but if they're people you care about and know and live with, Epicurus's ideas didn't take on because there's not much money to be had in making people happy. There's money to be had in making people scared. But we got close, I think, with villages in feudal, um, in feudal times. Well, I mean, obviously, people there were barren and wretched and miserable and had shit on their face all of the time. <laughs> At the very least, they had meeting within a community who they cared about. Things were dirty there, not denying that. And it was the people, well, mostly it was the horses, I imagine, who made it dirty. But they lived their lives, and there was a meaningfulness to that. And I think we can extrapolate that um, that communal spirit into how society functions today without returning to this post, like this this modernist liberal traditional idea of like a, I mean liberal in like the Enlightenment sense idea of like the nuclear family where people get locked off into these boxes. I just it feels like a grim return to an attempt at replicating the joy of an earlier and perhaps less profitable, but nonetheless superior system. Do you know the American corporation that has the, um, that has the, the vision statement, make people happy? Um, I mean, I've heard it before. Uh, yeah, um, is, it, is it Facebook? No, no, it's Disney. This, oh, okay, oh, that's so, oh, I should have gotten that. That, that one's a, that's and a clear make, one. And do they make much money? I mean, <laughs> hey, listen. I mean, if your if your point is that capitalism does a poor job of meeting human need, then I'm I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. My my point is that happiness is people I don't think people finally want happiness. They will trade their life for meaning. And ironically, I think, you know, when it, if we come all the way back to the question of Jordan B Peterson, that mm -hmm. is what's actually at the heart of you know, the first book that he wrote is his more important book, which is not very readable, is Maps of Meaning, because people will people will go to war and be killed on the battlefield. People will put their bodies and lives at risk in childbirth. People will sacrifice everything that they have for meaning, but they will even, in fact, sacrifice their happiness for meaning. And I think if we can get an understanding of that, we might actually be able to figure out what kinds of institutions and social arrangements would actually give us more well-being than just, I think Epicurus in the end uh, didn't succeed in changing the world because he was wrong. And I would, I would argue that someone named Jesus Christ actually changed the world far more than Epicurus. And I would argue that he did so because he was right. I don't think you can meaningfully extrapolate the validity of a position for how popular it is. There have been plenty of intelligent and wise men who have died penniless in the sewers and plenty of idiots who have been elected to high office. I mean, you know, well, Jesus, Jesus didn't make any money. Jesus Christ's uh, 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 elevated reputation, notwithstanding, there is plenty of empirical evidence to suggest that communal living is a, is a good way about to live one's life. And I think oh, absolutely. that you... You see, you see facsimiles of this in, in poorer communities as well. Now, I admit, and I admit I'm speaking here not from experience, but only from reading, because I am rather privileged in my upbringing. But in everything that I have read and scantly encountered in some of the poorest communities in this country, um, the whatever whatever glimpses of meaning and validity they picked from their lives were in a shared bond with their neighbors, with their community, and a willingness to do whatever it took to maintain the well-being of that community. 
to, but, to an irrational degree. The more affluent degree, people almost. get, the more isolated they live, and that's exactly what we're seeing in North America. Agreed, the, yeah. The, the family size is shrinking the more money we get. And so that's why I argue if you put the emphasis on economic well-being, you're not actually going to address these questions of community. What if you put because, the emphasis on on uh, economic socialization, redesigning social structures in a way that facilitate human contact? Everything, our workplaces, our schools, um, uh, um, uh, the way in which we like get services from others. Now we just like click a button on Amazon, it arrives at our door, our families, all of it is getting more expedient and more distant. If we could find ways to, 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 to streamline these systems in a way that facilitated human contact, I think that you would see people form a much more genuine bond with their community. And I think really good things can come from that. I think the, I think the most expedient way to do that would be to have them have less money, and they would be more people living together. And you would <laughs> is that a Posadist I hear? Do you support? Do you believe that true happiness can only come from the flames of apocalyptic uh, nuclear hellfire? Uh, only after we nuke the country can we uh, rebuild and become truly uh, truly one. No. Have you not heard of Posadism? No. Okay. All right. Okay. Now listen. Hey, listen. I, I don't it's... get to those dark corners of the internet very often. I'm just, listen. I'm just saying. I mean, if 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 you want to go hard on the poverty happiness correlative scale, then a nuclear winter sounds like a really really quick way. No, I I don't disagree. I don't disagree though. Be like flippancy aside. Um, I do. Th I guess. I guess on the whole. I do think that right now the commodification of human life has made it difficult for us to really appreciate one another and form bonds. It's really difficult. You're, we're obviously of different um, uh, generations, so things maybe are different for me or for you than they were for. Well, oh, okay. Don't How give me that face. I'm 25. Oh yeah, yeah, we are. You're, you're okay. my children's age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't give me that face. I'm sorry. My, I know my face not on camera. I don't know if you forgot. I'm just remember a beard. Like oh god, it's 30, 40. Um, whatever the case may be, things are. It's really hard to make friends now. Like it's really yeah. genuinely difficult to make friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there have been studies born out of this. A lot of it is part is because we don't leave our houses as much anymore. And listen, internet. Okay, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I may make my money here. I do, I'm not defending the internet in that respect, though. I'm not going. I'm not going to bat for that. But in terms of um, also of like our IRL, like our in-person friends, um, so often the economic like. Um, uh, uh, um, meanderings of life, the fact that you have to move to get jobs or how much we have to work or how fastidiously we have to dedicate our time to a profession, it kind of prevents us from making friends outside our work field. And even within that work field, usually most workplaces are nightmares. They're horridly alienating. You can't form yeah. friendships there. And it's, In fact, you're, you're not supposed to. They don't want you to. Yeah, it's and it's disgusting. And it makes them more money, but it's disgusting. Yeah. And, and this is like our only chance. It's eight hours a day, five days a week for some people. Some people work more or less. I don't know. And that's their like main shot at socialization. And they're expressly, uh, systemically prevented from doing so. And and I and I and it's really sad. And there are so many people I know that that are losing their friends, um, or, or, or who don't have any friends, and who find other ways of accommodating the desires that come about from friendship, like, like feeling validated um, by others. And that's like, th th I consider that the the alienation from friendship. I would consider this like a, um, like like an apocalyptically bad social problem. Like, 
a lot of people make fun of incels. You you know the term is like involuntary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people make jokes about this. I try not to make jokes about this. This is like a this is like actually a real problem we're going to have to deal with. And whether that the solution comes from a return to more traditional family structures or like some broad systemic reevaluation of how our 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 our, our social structures affect our ability to make friends. I will agree with you on this. It is glad to have people talking about that. And Jordan B. Peterson has definitely brought about that conversation in the way that many others haven't. Well, and, and so I would say, well, what if you had a, what if you had a, a place where people could come together weekly and you oh, could no. reinforce the values and oh, principles no. and do some singing oh, and no. have some food together and, oh, no. and make <laughs> friends and find potential spouses. Gosh, what, It'd be amazing if someone thought of a place like that. (laughs) But yet churches are dying, including my own. So no, we're in a a mess and it's a mess of our own making. Yeah, I don't disagree. We, uh, wait, can I, wait, can I ask what, um, can I ask what, um, what what church or sect or branch or whatever the proper terminology it is you follow? If it's not polite, I'm I'm a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church in North America, which comes out of the Dutch Calvinist tradition from Dutch immigrants. So would that be that would be Catholic then, right? If it comes from Calvinist. Oh, sorry, sorry, Calvinist. Okay, I admit I'm very ignorant about Christianity. The only thing I know is that the Catholics build the prettiest churches. I don't know where they do. They really do. That's my. The Orthodox (laughs) built some great churches too. Yeah. And uh, listen, the only thing that's okay, I will say this, okay, in in words, so credit where credit is due, okay, in almost every town I've ever been in the churches, synagogues, mosques, whatever, it doesn't matter, religious institutions, far and away, the most beautiful buildings that I that um, that I will ever see everything else is dull, gray, concrete office buildings. And it is genuinely sad to me that one of the last excuses we had to bust out our architectural chops yeah. is 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 falling to the wayside. Yeah, that's true. So from an artistic perspective, at least at the very least, deeply saddening to me. I agree. I agree. That may be a point. Uh we've gone over our normal hour of Yeah, sorry. That's I did not expect to have a good faith conversation. It's been so long. It's actually extraordinary. Oh, I, this was enjoyable. I enjoyed this. I could pleasant to speak more. to you as well. This was so enjoyable to listen to. I was like, I'm not joking. I was like, I know I should, but I was like, I'm just going to keep letting it go because it's just been really interesting. I honestly am fascinated. And uh, as a side note, too, the the fact that you had both mentioned middle-aged white men actually commit the most suicide. That's I've never knew that. I never would have guessed either. So um, a lot of a lot of them, just to clarify, a lot of them are medically facilitated. Like these are people who have like um, like debilitating conditions that that in all likelihood will mean their death soon anyway. So that does account for a small portion of the statistic. But a lot of it is also like systemic alienation for sure. Wow. That is really. Yeah, I never knew. So with that. We will jump to the Q&A. So thanks so much. What I'm going to do is just quick send the questions that we have over to the speakers just so that uh, if you guys want a chance to skim through them as I go through the troll uh, questions, you can uh, take a peek at those. I'm going to send those via email. And want to say thanks, everybody, for your questions. Uh, it's going to be – I think we're with this like roughly 10 minutes, we're going to try to zoom through as many as possible. And forgive me if we don't get to – all of the questions. 
I'm just trying to, I want to respect the speaker's time and uh, just kind of keep it short and pithy is uh, got just about the right amount. So very excited for these. First up, thanks so much, Steven Steen, who said, can't we all just love James and get along? Thank you, Steven. That's, uh, he's our friendly, benevolent troll, by the way. I uh, love James and I love getting along. That's I think we've gotten along well tonight. Yes, it has been. So I, I just emailed you guys the questions. If you want to peek at them, I've got, I'm going to read through like maybe four more. We get a lot of troll chats, but I still read them. I don't, I just love them. So thanks, Steven. <laughs> Converse contender, uh, I get, says, Vosh. So what you're saying is, Jordan, this is early in the debate. So I think it was, it was, it was referencing the Kathy Newman discussion. Converse contender says, Vosh. So what you're saying is, Jordan is good. I get it. Uh- uh, so, so I, I, I get, I don't like Jordan B. Peterson mostly for political reasons. I do think that he enables far right politics. And I do think that the, the discussions that he opens leave enough wiggle room in regards to their sort of philosophical prescriptions that it's easy to take from them reactionary politics. However, that's one discussion. A far more interesting discussion to me is what do we do about the types of things that Jordan Peterson has set himself out trying to address, like alienation, loneliness, and what have you. And in those, and I, I may not like JBP, but I love the fact that we're able to have conversations about that now. And and that and that is a take that I am unapologetically in favor of. I really appreciate both of you guys. Uh... Uh, next up really quick i just enjoyed this conversation so much seriously you guys this has honestly just been i guess the like the old-fashioned talks of like values and kind of and some so anyway i just this has been great steven steen thanks for your other super chat who said he said most important point vosh made in this debate was that james is sculpted like a greek god i don't think he said that but thanks steven um So, so just, wow, I, I can say that. it if you like. Sigifredo's <laughs> <laughs> Rabia just says $2,000. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm not sure what that means. Thank you, though. It's stupid. This is she goes by. This is her own name. Uh, she's stupid whore energy. Thanks for your super chat. She says, question for James. Why do you shave your legs? Not, in fact, true, uh, though more power to you if you like to. Snake was right. Thanks for your super chat. Now we're getting into the more pointed questions. So I'm I'm ready. Uh, we have Snake was right asking how is anti-communism equal to fascist propaganda? So I, I assume that's directed at me because I made the claim. Um, <clears throat> so um, so to be specific here, and I and I don't want to be too like um, inflammatory or anything like that because it probably doesn't serve anyone's interest. But when Jordan B. Peterson talks about cultural Marxism, this is literally, and th- this is this is like an indisputable fact, a retooling of cultural Bolshevism, uh, which was Nazi propaganda. Uh, in both instances, the essential propagandistic. Uh, 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 sort of argument was that there was a left-wing plot in cultural Bolshevism's case by Jewish people and by cultural Marxism's case, it depends, what do you mean, purple-haired SJWs, I don't know, um, to subvert academia and disseminate Marxist values of um, of like tolerance and equality to destroy the white man um, uh, 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 through that academia to change people's minds, to influence and propagandize against students. I'm very wary when people use the term cultural Marxist. It's rooted usually in anti-Semitism, but sometimes I don't get that vibe from JBP. It just comes off to me as somebody who is maybe inadvertently spreading propaganda that abets and enables um, fascists. 
You bet. Thank you very much. Ariel Fernandez, thanks for your super chat. They said, question to both. Do you think all or most of the state legislatures in the U.S. should be uncameral legislator, legislatures instead of bicameral legislatures? That's... I think they meant unicameral. Unicameral, yeah. yeah that would probably make a little more. Yes. Uncameral. No cameras. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd probably be better without cameras, frankly, from what I've seen from the cameras. Um <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a son who works in uh, who works in politics, and I think he'd have ideas about this, but I don't really know enough about it to to wage to to give an opinion. Um, I um I don't like the Senate. Um, I don't I don't particularly like the um I don't particularly like the idea that like oh god electoral college memes. Um, okay, I don't state houses, right? That's what the question was. State houses was oh, was it state, not federal? Uh, I said, uh, oh, you're right, state legislatures. Oh, yeah, state houses. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I admit I haven't thought too too hard in the bicamerality of state legislators. Um, I don't actually know how the second house is chambered. I don't know if there's a different like like a uh, um, process for which they're voted for, or I don't know if they're representative of a different type of demographic than those who are in the first house. Um, so I'm gonna flip a coin real quick, and I'm gonna I'm gonna very firmly decide. I hate bicameral legislators they're disgusting and they're also fascist propaganda okay i want unicameral legislators now because we are like six years away from, from fucking the fourth reich taking over if we don't fix this shit okay that's my take wow <laughs> thank you very much ariel um uh answer ariel fernandez has another question thanks so much for your okay they were just uh, defining them uh thank you for that stupid whore energy thank you for asking your super chat question, which is why did Peterson ignore part of Eric Harris's journal that were rife with misogyny, racism, and ableism? I haven't heard of this. I don't know what you guys know what that's referring to. Well, he's talking to Eric Not Harris, familiar. one of the Columbine shooters, oh. and he made a point about his journal and some other aspects. Why did he ignore those points? Probably because every speaker, when you're putting together a talk, you pick the points that you want to make from the material material in front of you and sometimes you skip over some of the others so i though i'm not personally familiar with this omission so i so my take would is is only from the information i've been provided right here i will say i do think there's a benefit in tying a link between um the the alienation loneliness what have you that no doubt afflicted those two with whatever reactionary politics that tend to cohabilitate it there is a pretty if you go into far right circles online a lot of those folks tend to look like they could benefit from some community living if you know what i mean so i think that that link is something worth looking at i don't know I've, why he personally would have removed it i lately i've been you know who timothy snyder is um he's an author. Oh, wait, that sounds familiar hold on he, he wrote he wrote a book about um anyway he did a lot of he's a historian that's done a lot of work on the early 20th century especially in eastern europe he, he wrote one uh bloodlands which was the history of the space between nazi germany and the soviet union i'm currently reading his book black earth which is a which does a deep dive on on nazism and fascism it's really fascinating and i think people who I, I think it's helpful to read a book like that when you think about some of the connections between fascism and 
I mean, it, I, I've learned a lot about the basis. I, you know, so Hitler hated the Jews. Yeah, I never knew why he hated the Jews, but his thinking behind that is really quite interesting. And it sort of mixes up a lot of the facile associations we tend to make today with the current political landscape. So it's a it's a book I recommend. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking I'm looking through the bio on Wiki right now. It, it looks um it, it actually looks a really good read. If only I wasn't illiterate. Thank you. <laughs> it's an audio form too. Oh, I know you understand nice. English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. So we have another one, which is. Stupid Horror Energy, thanks for your super chat. She asks, is there any actual scientific evidence for Peterson's claim that boys, quote, uh, quote, boys' interests tilt towards things, girls' interests tilt toward people? I've heard that case made by psychologists. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I think anecdotally, having had five children, I, you know, all of these are tendencies and but I can see my boys tended to focus on things and my girls tended to focus on relationships. That's what I saw with my kids. Now, how you ever suss that out or say what's nature and nurture, I don't know, but I know that that's, you know, at least from the psychology that I've heard, it is an assertion. But again, all of these assertions are generalizations such as men are taller than women. Generally, you can find some women taller than some men, but that's the way it is. I haven't I haven't seen any specific like 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 scientific. Well, I've seen studies on the subject. It's really difficult in sociology and psychology to tease out like any intrinsic characteristics or what has or has not been affected by societal upbringing. I would I can I could be I could be sold on the idea that there might be very small differences in the intrinsic wiring on average, not in aggregate, not like for every individual between um, but between like the, the the stereotypical sexes. But I, w I would imagine that if that was the case, it would probably be a statistically insignificant deviation that's probably teased out and exacerbated by social cues. But that would be that would just be my guess without knowing more about the literature. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Next up, Ariel Fernandez. Thank you for your super chat. They ask, Mr. Vanderclay, are you a distributist? If you answer I don't know or no to being a distributist, <laughs> then please answer my next question. Do you have knowledge of what distributism is? I there is there is a YouTuber called the Distributist that I know a little bit. He has his own channel. And then there's one of my one of the people who I've had a number of conversations, Mary, Mary Cohen, who now just started her own YouTube channel, says that the distributist is not a distributist so i really don't know what they're fighting about and i think it has something to do with gk chesterton and some social theory and roman catholicism but since i'm not roman catholic it hasn't been an area of study of mine i listen all i have to say is that i love the distributist okay that's all i've got to say. that's are you talking about this like the idea or i've, the I've, ta I've talked with him before it was oh, a okay. shit show <laughs> That's super interesting, and it's it's funny because I'm not exaggerating. The very next person who sent a super chat, I don't know if it's because he heard his his ears were uh, itching, but the distributist sent a super chat. This is next on the list, and he said, "Bravo, Paul, bravo." <laughs> so no joke, and he's been on here before. So good to see you, distributist. Hope you're well, and Paul, you got a fan. Uh, <laughs> So hey, distributors, have you figured out what racism means? <laughs> yeah. 
So apparently you two have a history. I don't know. But uh, you guys, let's see. Stupid Horror Energy, thanks for your question. She says, why does Jordan Peterson sound like a postmodernist when he discusses women? How can I? Let's see. Just this, uh, She says, are at, like the at symbol with an e- in an email, P3 accounts. Is this something I'm supposed to know? Is this some sort of cool slang? Uh, when he discusses women, oh, rape accounts. Oh, she she spelt it Ooh. so that YouTube wouldn't pick it oh. up. Oh, oh. Ah, ah. oh, I said it out loud. What I meant to say. Okay, you get it. <laughs> so, well, so why does Peterson sound like a postmodernist when he discusses women's R <coughs> accounts? Me, no problem. There's a lot of there's a lot of postmodernism within Jordan Peterson. Gotcha. Uh, there, nice. there is. I mean, it, it's hard to, it's hard to not. And some people will make the same claim listening to me that I'm way more postmodern than they thought I would be. But I think it's, and Peterson himself acknowledges that that's postmodernism identified, you know, a lot of true things such as that there are motivations in narratives that, that are playing in the, to use one of, Charles Taylor's words in the imaginary. And so there's a fair amount of postmodernity in in what in the way Jordan Peterson approaches some things. I think it's true. Yeah, I think I think that a lot of people um unnecessarily ascribe negativity to like postmodernity as like a concept without recognizing that they probably engage in postmodern thought in some aspects of their life. We did it earlier in this discussion while we were talking about social alienation from a respective economic and traditionalist social perspective. All, all it really means is that um, you believe there are different, um, different, different narratives, different lens of analyses through which life can be examined and that there's no such thing as a universal principle truth. There's objective reality, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's objective truth. And a lot of, yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. A lot of good stuff can come from that. It's just another lens of analysis. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Brian Stevens, thanks for your super chat. He said, question, are the numbers, uh, he's referring to the uh, suicide rates between Haiti and the U.S. I think this is uh, in reference to what you had mentioned, Paul. He says, are the numbers, namely 11.7 in Haiti and 13 in the u.s that far off or different he says because these are the suicide rates between haiti and the u.s i my my sample is was strictly anecdotal and if you rewind you'll hear me say it that way that where i've been a pastor in the united states and i regularly hear about suicide attempts among people who uh in terms of standard of living compared to the rest of the world live remarkably secure and well off as compared to people who lived with absolute you know crushing poverty given those two samples and if one imagines that well-being and happiness is simply a function of economic well-being we would imagine that we'd see Haitians offing themselves all the time but I didn't and in fact like I said I see I hear many more stories of even just this Sunday, I heard a prayer request for a child of 11 who was suicidal. And when I think about what it means that an 11-year-old child would be contemplating taking their own life, I have real questions about what kind of world we have placed this child into. I don't I don't disagree with the principle. I'm not familiar with the socioeconomic situation here in Haiti, but I just extrapolating from... Um 
from U.S. demographic data concerning suicide rates, it's undeniable that the relationship between um, suicidality and um, uh, uh, living conditions is uh, complicated, um, to, to put it at the very least. Uh, Haiti also has some really specific stuff going on right now. I mean, they're literally in a revolution presently. So, uh, the, so I imagine that the material conditions over there might uh, might lend to some uh, uh, conflating factors when it comes to analyzing how exactly they treat themselves in a social sense. Gotcha. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Ariel Fernandez, we don't have too many more. Uh, they asked, Vash, do you think Juan Velasco, former Peruvian general who led a successful military coup in 1968, was a socialist or a socialist sympathizer? Uh... Here, if you can hold on for just 10 seconds, I'm copying that name from the email and I'm entering it into Google and someone else is going to answer the question for me. What? What? I, I'm not that much of a history buff. Hold on. What was a left-wing Peruvian general turned dictator who served as 58th president during the dictatorship from 68 to 75 under the title President of the Revolutionary Government of the Armed Forces? I mean, he sounds like a leftist. I don't know if I would agree with I don't know if I'm a big fan of dictatorships, though. Um, characterized by authoritarianism, agrarian reform. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. I don't know if he's a crypto. He sounds like a. He sounds like he was trying to build revolutionary socialism. I don't know if I. I don't know if I agree with his methods. You betcha. And Mothra J Disco, thanks for your super chat. They said Jesus was the true Antifa commander. Must have true true totally baffled i think i cut off let me just double check that i didn't cut off this super chat i'm going to read the next one and we're going to come back to this one because i feel like there's maybe a missing word he uh, led the black block with the with the bandette with the chief over his mouth and everything throwing uh throwing molotovs at the uh, in the temple where all the merchants were next up uh, we'll come back to that one i promise <laughs> osu osu thanks for your super chat they said Ask PVK his thoughts on tyrannical family courts. I don't know anything about tyrannical family courts. Are, are, there, are those a thing? I mean, what, what does he mean by tyrannical oh, family courts? I think they are referring to... This is my only my guess. This came up the other day when you were on here, Vash. Uh, uh. If, I'm, if I'm interpreting it right, I think they m- maybe mean courts that show... Wait, what? I think isn't it something JBP has talked about about how there's discriminatory practices in family courts that lead to more women getting the boys or whatever? Than yes, the yes, that's exactly what I was thinking too. <clears throat> so yeah, I think that's what they're referring to when they say tyrannical family courts is yeah. these. I I don't I think I I think judges should look at the circumstance and do what's right. It's really and I I think it is true that that. There has been a bias in society that believed that children were better off with their mother than their father. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see a more even handed treatment of that. I I don't, I think I, in any given situation, you know, I, every now and then something comes in front of me and it's a custody battle. They're almost always terribly difficult and terribly sad. And this again, I mean, I think the the mark of an adult is that the adult puts the welfare of the child ahead of their own. And that's what we want to see. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I won't lie when I say, I mean, again, I'm not a parent, so obviously my understanding of how difficult it is stems pretty much from my, like, reflective understanding of how my parents raised me. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, um, sometimes the way those family court situations play out is absolutely disgusting uh, with kids being used as bargaining tools. I will say this, by the way, hey, listen, the family court is not the only court system that's systemically biased against a certain demographic of people. If you have an issue with how the family court typically um, prioritizes giving children over to women because women are expected to be like the child bearers and the housekeepers and what have you, there's that social expectation they'll do a better job than the men. Same reason why sometimes when men bring their kids to uh, playgrounds, they'll get accused of being pedophiles for being with the kid. Whereas if a mom does, that never happens. Exact same reason, even though there's um, no statistically significant difference between the amount of victim of children by men and women, um, <clears throat> then you should probably also have a problem with the fact the court system has approximately equal levels of discriminatory fervor when it comes to African Americans. I'm just saying, if, if, if you have an issue with how systems treat individuals, then you have to look past the individual judges and look at how the system as a whole regards those groups. And I think family courts do kind of screw over men. And I, and I oppose that by advocating men can be just as good housekeepers as women, you know? Or, or not housekeeper, sorry. Child rears, yeah. You see, men and women are equally good at juggling, Your Honor. So I think that your uh, your contention here your, your, is unfounded. No, uh, uh, child rears. Gotcha, thank you. And I, I just went back to double check this. The I definitely, that's all the Super Chat said was Jesus was the true Antifa commander, then the letter O in the number seven. Is that... It's like oh, somebody... that, oh, that's that's somebody saluting. It's meant to be an emoticon for somebody saluting. Oh. Like the head is the O and the seven is the, the hand and the forearm. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> thank you for teaching me how to be cool, Vash. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. In interpreting cool, I should say. I'm not that far yet. Okay. Stupid whore energy. Thanks to your super chat. She says, question for Vash. Did you support the Bundy's attempt to take over mal is it pronounced malhauer mal malhauer i think it's the the national park are we talking about the bundy ranch is it the uh yeah no. the bundy the, in 2014 the bundy ranch standoff that might be it but yeah the... i think that's what they're talking about okay. um some some forms of um some forms of rebellion against the government are good and some are bad um like for instance i'm not categorically against murder murder and self-defense is good for example i believe you should be able to defend yourself in this instance the bundies were literally grazing off of land they didn't own and then when the government said hey don't do that they took up arms and threatened like F the fbi that like so no this is not a legitimate this is like the difference between like a proletarian revolution and just like firebombing starbucks full of baristas the different the set it from a distance if you blur your eyes a little bit things may seem similar but if you come up close there's a there's a world of difference now nah, i don't support that at all i wish and by the way if those bundy folk were black they would have been gunned down that site would have been carpet bombed from the air but because they're white one of them gets shot and the rest of them get off it's pretty wild gotcha thank you very much next up got that one uh, our father in the green. Thanks for your uh, super chat. They said, question to Vash. I heard this far left agenda in academia would be discussed further with a fellow academic named Crocoduck. Is that like a... Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to discuss um, uh, um, uh, scientific... Um... <sighs> 
scientific subjectivism with Crocoduck. I do want to discuss it with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no denying that academia tends to lean left, but a lot of left-leaning ideas just bear out better in data. It's smug to say, but I mean, like, sometimes what are you going to do, right? Um, there's a lot of anti-intellectualism in modern conservative intelligentsia. It's been a problem for a while, but it's gotten worse and worse lately. Um, but, I, but at the end of the day, my goal, along with the goal of everyone else, should be to make sure that everyone gets the best education possible, the best ability to understand the world around them and come to conclusions that ultimately benefit them and others, to live happy, fulfilled, well-being lives. Propagandizing students isn't how you do that. But giving them good, solid, structural understanding of the world around them, I think that's a good take. And I think right now that leftism kind of has the cornerstone on that market. You got it. Thank you very much. Marcus, thanks for your super chat. They said, do lobsters live communally? Very nice. No, they don't. Well, yes, they <laughs> haven't you seen they'll pull down the ones that are trying to escape from the fish tank. They don't want to. They don't want to see their brother leave. I have a niece who's getting her PhD <laughs> in lobsters, and I'll tell you, they're pretty brutal. I want to yeah. live as the lobsters do, okay? Shiny and capable of breathing underwater. I think these are goals all humans should aspire to. Touche. Our father in the green, thanks for your question. Uh, thanks for your super chat. They said, follow up. What does Vosh think of how elements of intersectional activism is seeking to subvert the fields of science and academia and even general progressive politics being hijacked in general? Uh, it's a conspiracy theory. I've seen this a lot in right-wing circles. I've, I've been to university. I speak with professors. I've spoken to professors. At no point, <coughs> on no level, so have, I see, have I seen a subversion of science by a radical, like, progressive agenda or anything. Usually what they mean when they say that is people saying that gender um, doesn't equal sex or that um, it depends. There are three things that people will say is radical progressive politics influencing science. And it's either gender and sex are not the same thing, um, sex is a spectrum, not a binary, or C, um, that, that um, there is not like a, there is a tenuous connection at best between, um, between race and IQ. Those are like the three takes, and then people will get up in arms and they'll be like, oh, Jesus, God, Christ Almighty, the progressives are destroying even science. I've never seen this happen, not once. Um, but if somebody has specific examples where they believe that like intersectional politics are influencing our ability to rationally understand the world, then I would be willing to discuss it with them. But so far, every time I've seen it, it's been malarkey. You got it. Thank you very much. We've got just just three more questions. If you guys, I know we've already gone in over your time though. So for, if you got like a dinner plan or anything, I want to let you guys go. If you do, you have a <laughs> Paul. You look like you have a dinner plan. Okay. So sorry about that, Paul. Thanks so much for being here. Um, I will. Uh, these questions I'll try to direct via if email. You can make them fast. You can make them fast. Okay. Really fast. Uh, the Lupajackal. Thanks for your question. They said, "What theological books do you recommend?" Assume this is for Paul. Hmm. Now I got to give a fast answer. It a lot depends on what kind of things that they're interested in. Uh, that's that doesn't that doesn't terribly help them. I like they're a progressive Christian Lewis. socialist. I know them. They're quite nice. I I, I recommend I recommend C.S. Lewis. Terrific author. Um, a lot of good stuff. Gotcha. Really quick, we got one comment. I think they were clarifying their previous one. Errol Fernandez, thanks for your super chat. They said, to my knowledge, almost all the seats in the upper chamber of state legislatures is based on population. It will be, in, it will be like instead of state, get the two seats in the Senate, there will be senatorial districts. That's, I'd have to do some. That's, 
That seems like a subject I need to do a bit of research on before. In California, they're just termed differently, but they're both based on districts. And um, I don't know much about state politics, to be honest. I should probably read up on it. That seems like a like a hole I should fill. There's there's 50 states, and so it means a lot of reading because they're all. Yeah, listen, I'll skip. I'll skip the irrelevant ones. Okay. You got it. And then the last one is a yes or no question for Vosh. Do you think Omar Torrijos was a leftist? Omar Torrijos. I don't, I don't know that. We're, you know what? We're gonna say we're gonna say yes. Okay. I hope it, <laughs> I hope that doesn't come back to bite me. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for being here. It's honestly been a blast. Both of the speakers have their links in the description. So like right down there, like you can click on them if you enjoyed listening to these guys. I can tell you, I've honestly. I put in the chat, I told somebody, because some, I've got so many good feedback comments in the <coughs> chat. This has been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've honestly ever gotten to listen to at Modern Day Debate. So thank you guys so much. Uh, with that. It's been a pleasure. Uh, goodness. It's been a pleasure. You. The pleasure is all mine. And with that, we'll uh, say thanks to our speakers again and uh, let everybody go. Thanks for being here, everybody. Keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.